Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, The True Christian, with a message titled, Final Greetings. So let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I don't think there are many ordinary people. And what I mean is that quite frequently, when I take the time to get to know people and hear their stories and listen to what's transpired in their lives, I'm overwhelmed. See, I love to tell the story of once helping out a couple who got stranded and couldn't get their car going. And my wife and I drove them to their home and they just looked like a normal couple. But in the process of hearing their life stories, which Kathy and I loved to do as an opportunity to share the gospel, but you know, in the course of them telling their story, the woman says that once in her younger years, she was a ballet dancer. As we got to their house and were invited in, I saw a large picture of a younger version of her dancing with, get this, Mikhail Baryshnikov, probably the most famous and greatest male ballet dancer in history. And what seemed like ordinary people was anything but that. Now, not all stories are that dramatic, but I have often, so often, when hearing people's stories, been overwhelmed by the trials they've gone through or the adventures, the heartache, the promise, the accomplishments, the failures. I guess what I'm saying is that if you take the time to get to know people by hearing their stories, well, I promise you, you'll be perpetually amazed. And I say all of this because this is our last lesson in the book of Colossians, and like so many of Paul's books, they end with greetings. So many of us, when we read the names of the people who greet others and the names of people who are greeted, well, you know, to many a Bible reader, our eyes just glaze over, don't know those people, doesn't seem interesting to us. And to that, I respond in two ways. First of all, even the greetings at the end of each book is sacred scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit for our benefit. See, the Holy Spirit knew that for all times, the church and individuals would need to read this and pay attention. It mattered. But second, it's true that everyone has a story. Then think of the story of these men and women who evangelized the Roman Empire, who changed the world. And I promise you, their lives, of all human lives, are the most fascinating of all. And so, we're going to go through these list of names, and we're going to find 11 names. Ten of them are men, one is a woman. And then in the end, Paul will ask the church in Colossae one more time to remember him in prayer, and this time to remember his chains. So let's meet 11 remarkable people who brought the gospel of Jesus to the world. The first is a man named Tychicus. I'm reading Colossians 4, 7, and 8. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So who's Tychicus? We know that Paul entrusted the letter of Colossians to this man who delivered this letter to the Colossian church. And since Paul and Tychicus would have known that this letter was sacred scripture, Tychicus would have known just how important it was to safely deliver this letter. So whoever he was, Paul obviously felt secure in trusting him with something far more valuable than any earthly treasure. Paul describes him with three attributes. First, he calls him a beloved brother. And I assume that means he's especially dear to Paul. Second, he says he's a faithful minister. And Paul means that he could always trust him with all kinds of ministry assignments. 
See, Luke mentions that at a very crucial time in Paul's ministry, it was Tychicus, among others, that accompanied Paul looking after him and securing that he remained safe. We also know that at the end of Paul's life, Tychicus became increasingly valuable to him. Paul sent him to Crete to give relief to Titus, who was leading the church there. In other words, Paul felt confident giving this man key leadership assignments. And then in Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, he mentions that he had sent Tychicus to Ephesus to minister in what was becoming the most important church in the ancient Christian world. Beloved brother, faithful minister, but Paul also calls him a fellow servant of the Lord. This man obeys Jesus. Nothing higher could be said about him. Second person, well, you know, if anyone's got a story, it was this man, Anesimus. I'm reading Colossians 4, verse 9. After Paul mentioned Tychicus, he says, And with him, Anesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, of course, you know, there's a small book in our Bible. It's called the book of Philemon. talks about a runaway slave named Onesimus. Paul came in touch with him in Rome, led him to Christ. And it was in his imprisonment, and no doubt at his personal risk to himself, Onesimus, as a new believer, began ministering to Paul's needs. But Paul felt burdened and realized he had to send Onesimus back to his master and his personal friend Philemon. So listen to what Paul says to Philemon, and that's in verses 10 to 14. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Now, from reading the book of Philemon like that, we don't actually know how that turned out. But now from Colossians, we do know how that turned out. Philemon received his runaway slave back, not as a slave, but as a brother. And then he sent him back to Rome to be Paul's assistant. Philemon would have said to his slave, Onesimus, you minister to his needs, and he did. This man, as Paul said, was his very own heart, and he must have been a great source of comfort to Paul, and he must have been that to the Colossian church as well, because his story of transformation also became the story of the new way in which Christian slave owners and Christian slaves now interacted with each other. And one more point. From church tradition, I think it's most likely a reliable tradition, Anesimus became a trusted bishop in the early church, a faithful man whose life testified how different slavery became because of Christ, how slaves and masters were brothers and sisters, and he, the slave, became an outstanding Christian leader. Now to the third person in the story, and this one is mentioned only so briefly, but there's a story here. And his name is Aristarchus. And he's unique among all the people that Paul mentions. And in Colossians 4, verse 10a, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So why is Aristarchus in prison? Well, we know that what Paul would later say, that Aristarchus was one of three Jewish Christians who were with him. And we assume that he's in prison for the same reason Paul was. He was no doubt very active in planting churches, and the same charges of creating a disturbance were also leveled against him. So I assume he's a bold Christian, not intimidated by threats made against him. He's clearly a man willing to die to evangelize others. 
Aristarchus was a native of Thessalonica who probably came to Christ when Paul visited there and preached in a Jewish synagogue where I assume Aristarchus attended. He was persuaded by the gospel. And even when a rabble attacked Paul there, Aristarchus was not intimidated. We also know that when Paul journeyed to Jerusalem with money for impoverished Christians there, it was Aristarchus that accompanied him, and it may have been that he was arrested with Paul right there, a courageous man willing to face death with Paul. The fourth person, well, if you think Onesimus has got quite a story, well, this one has got an amazing story as well. His name, as we all know, is Mark or John Mark. Yep, he was the man who was there when Jesus was arrested and fled the scene naked and no doubt in terror. He later joined Paul and Barnabas, became their assistant on their first missionary journey. But it was there that he encountered his first failure. He deserted those missionaries when it became difficult. And Paul remembered that. And so when Paul and Barnabas were planning their second missionary trip, Barnabas wanted to take Mark along, but Paul said, absolutely not. I can't afford to take a guy who deserts us. And Mark, see, he became the reason for a great conflict between Barnabas and Paul. And so Barnabas and Paul decided they could no longer work together. And without Mark's failure, that would not have happened. It was all on Mark. And yet here we find him at the end of Colossians, Colossians 4, verse 10b. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So by this time, Mark has already collaborated with Peter, and he's completed the first ever life of Jesus, which is the gospel of Mark. In 1 Peter 5, verse 13, Peter calls him my son. No doubt of great use to Peter, And I assume that's because Peter was still learning how to write well, but Mark was a skilled writer who was able to put the gospel of Jesus into place through Peter's help. My son, said Peter. See, there was no doubt there's a story in all of that. And as we will see from the next verse in Colossians, Mark was one of the three Jewish Christians who were there to minister to Paul when he was in Rome. And he was a great comfort of Paul. Mark, the guy who was given a second chance and made good of it. You know, as a Christian, you may have had questions about the Bible or spiritual life that are hard to answer. Perhaps you felt that certain questions are best kept to yourself, especially those that involve doubts. Well, here at Back to the Bible Canada, we believe in bringing these to light. Finding answers to difficult questions is critical for an unwavering and steadfast faith. That's why we're adding to a very popular video series from a number of years ago called Ask Dr. John. We gathered up our most complex and frequently asked questions for Dr. John to unpack in a two-part series on YouTube, airing November 17th. So be sure to check us out on YouTube. Subscribe and hit the notification bell so you never miss the next episode. And if you're able, please consider a donation to help make resources like these available for free to all. You can give at backtothebible.ca. Mark was the man who failed significantly at the beginning of his ministry life, who recovered, and who finished his life and ministry well, and not only well, 
but was called upon to author the first ever life of Christ. Well, if, if you need inspiration, this is the man. His life tells us that our failures don't have to be the end of our story. We're familiarizing ourselves with the lives of people associated with the Apostle Paul. Their lives are fascinating, and some of them have, you know, spotty past records. But through the grace of God, they become faithful, people who are dependable, people who will not run away when things get tough. But one thing we should take from this is that Paul was never a loner. He never conducted his ministry on his own. No faithful life is lived on its own. It's lived in partnership with other faithful lives. I feel I need to emphasize that because in our day, there's an increasing feeling among some that you can be faithful to Jesus alone, apart from the church and apart from the people of God. Well, now that model, the idea of the loner Christian, is simply not found in the New Testament. The biblical model is the model of partnership, of team ministry, various believers contributing together. That's how the faith made inroads into the ancient world, but also made inroads through boldness and the willingness to suffer. And we've looked at four men, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, and Mark. Among the Jewish brothers, Paul mentions one more. He's the fifth person mentioned, and his name is Jesus Justice. Colossians 4 verse 11, and Jesus who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. The men of the circumcision group, that refers to Jews, and the men Paul's referring to, they're Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus who's called Justice. The name Jesus, or Joshua, same name, is a common name among the Jews. But he seems to have taken the name Justice, that is a Latin name, or one the Romans would have been familiar with. And that's the only thing we know about him. And that would be the only thing we know about him outside of the fact that Paul says he had been a great comfort to him. But I find his name interesting. Why is he, with a given name, Jesus, not using that name? Did the custom of not using the name Jesus begin that early? Well, we don't know, but here's another possibility. Justice, as he came to be known, must have been comfortable in both Jewish and in Latin culture. He had clearly embraced the central message of the Christian faith, that in Christ, as Paul taught in Galatians 3, verse 28, that in Christ there is not Jew nor Greek, but they are all one in Christ. Justice transcended the uniqueness of his Jewish root and embraced the total vision of Jesus. The seventh man is one that we've mentioned on numerous occasions in our study of Colossians. You can't know the book of Colossians without knowing his name. It's Epaphras, Colossians 4, 12 to 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Now notice that first Paul calls him one of you. He is because he was the man who evangelized the Colossians, who formed them into a church. And of course, not only there, but also in Laodicea, as well as Hierapolis, those three cities were within close proximity to each other, all a part of what was called the, the Lycus Valley. Apparently, Epaphras was not content in only preaching Jesus in one city. He built churches in three. We already learned from Colossians 1 verse 7 that the Colossians first heard the gospel from Epaphras. 
We learned that he also was trained by Paul in Ephesus and that he went out on ministry assignment and that he was a great success. We learned from the book of Philemon that for a while, just like Aristarchus, that this man, Epaphras, also spent time in a Roman prison, no doubt for preaching the gospel. So successful, gifted, bold, those words come to mind when I think about this man. But there's another description of him. Paul says that he's always struggling in prayer for the church there. So struggling in prayer seems to indicate that he's aware of a great spiritual struggle, and there was. I mean, the reason why Paul wrote Colossians is because Epaphras told him of the rise of heresy among Christians in that city and the potential that had to undo the work of Christ there. So think about Epaphras the evangelist, not like a man who shows up in town, you know, conducts a few crusades and then leaves. That's not him. He's there for a church to be born. And as we're going to see, he left the church in the hands of teachers and preachers. But even then he wasn't done. In fact, he does seem to have never been done. He stayed in touch. He was aware of the problems that were developing. And no doubt, he inspired Paul to write the letter of Colossians, Epaphras, and his prayer. And pressing that need into Paul was the man responsible for urging Paul to write this book. That's a story in and of itself. Clearly a very interesting man. Paul simply says, I bear him witness. This guy works really hard. He never sloughs his responsibility. He's working when everyone else quits. His light is on late. He's active. He's overwhelmed with concern. This guy doesn't quit. Now, the eighth and ninth men, they're Luke and Demas. And I'm reading Colossians 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. It's hard to say enough about Luke. Luke's a Gentile medical doctor. He's the man who accompanied Paul. Luke, the man who's also a scholar, who interviewed the apostles along with others. I presume he interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, firsthand eyewitnesses of Jesus. He researched everyone, and he put together a book called the Book of Luke, which is the life of Christ. And of course, Luke also wrote the Book of Acts, tracing out the first 30 years of the life of the Christian church after the ascension of Jesus and the chronicles of how the gospel broke through the Jew-Gentile barrier and became a faith for the whole world. Luke, the man who helps us make sense of the historic context of all the letters of Paul. And Demas, well, that's a different story than Luke. He's the opposite of John Mark. Mark stumbled early, he regained his footing, and became faithful. Demas, here in Colossians, is still accompanying Paul. But if you go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, the last of Paul's letters, he writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Demas, the man who started well and then fell from the faith and may well have fallen from grace. Here is a story, a story that ended in failure and apostasy. The tenth man is not a man at all. This is a woman. And this woman lives in Colossae. So Colossians 4, 15 and 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. There are some manuscript variants as to whether Nympha is really Nympha or whether it's Nymphus. That would be a man's name. But most scholars are agreed that Nympha, that's the right name. Notice Paul does not say she's a pastor. He rather says the church meets at her house. And some explanation is required. The word church can simply be translated as assembly. It's a great assembly of believers that meet at her house. 
No doubt there is one church in Laodicea with multiple meeting places and one of the larger places where believers met to worship, to serve, to be taught were at the home of this woman. And that would indicate that her home is a large one, and that would mean that she's wealthy and that she has used her wealth for the sake of the kingdom of God. There is some archaeological evidence that shows us that Christians who owned large homes had them structurally modified to make meetings possible. In short, this woman likely gave up her estate for the sake of the kingdom. Well, since Paul mentions that the letter to the Colossians was to be read in Colossae and then on to Laodicea, Well, it seems very likely that it was in the home of Nympha, the first group of Christians heard the Colossian letter being read. Her house was the first house to hear this new piece of scripture. That's significant. The 11th person is Archippus. Colossians 4 verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. This man is also mentioned in the Philemon letter where Paul calls him our fellow soldier. He's a warrior for Jesus. There he also mentions the church or the assembly that meets in his house. And I take that to mean that he also had a large enough house for believers to meet. And what was his role? Well, we can't actually say, but I think he may have been a key leader, preacher and teacher in the church there. I think that because Paul urges him to fulfill his ministry. Perhaps Paul's counting on this man to make sure that the false teaching in Colossae is defeated. Hence, he's a soldier for Christ. And then verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. A book of the Bible has been completed, urging the church of Jesus never to fall prey to false teaching and always to live as a Christian. Keep it pure, says Paul. In order to accomplish that, You're going to have to do that with a great company of men and women all joining hands together to make that happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. John, thanks so much for a great series. Let me conclude with just a really straightforward question. What is the letter that the Laodiceans had that was to be read in Colossae? Well, you know, we can't say with absolute certainty, but there are a number of very good theories. You know, it's possible it's another lost letter. Um, I don't know that that's the case. Uh, I think there can be a good case that can be made that the letter is actually um, uh, the letter of the Ephesians, that the Ephesian letter was itself a circular letter and that it was being read through the churches and that it was that very letter that Paul was referring to. That seems like a very likely scenario. And so um, I think it's important for us that when we read something like that, that we don't think, you know, maybe the Bible isn't complete and maybe there are lost letters running around that we should have. I don't think that's the case. I think that's what Paul was referring to. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. November is an exciting time at Back to the Bible Canada. This month, we offer you a booklet of meditations entitled Quiet Spaces for Christmas, a 30-day devotional focused on the themes of Christmas. It invites you to spend time daily reflecting on God's Word and hiding the truth in your hearts. We're also offering an alternative gift for the youngsters in your life. It's a wonderful story from the pen of Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway called Jake and the Christmas Surprise. 
This funny, thoughtful story is perfect for that bedtime read with the kids or grandkids. It also provides questions for reflection at the end of each short chapter. Choose one of these great Christmas resources as our gift to you. And if you'd like both or additional copies, they can be purchased at backtothebible.ca. We hope these resources will bless you and your loved ones this coming Christmas season.